All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of On the Margin today. I'm joined by repeat guest Jeff Booth, the author of The Price for Tomorrow and the GP at Ego Death Capital. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Great to see you again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've uh, connected here. It was nice to see your your face pop up there before we got on. I was like, man, it's been a while since uh, I've spoken to Jeff. And you've done so much in the last couple of years. Um, I'm sure we'll get into sort of Ego Death Capital and what you're doing over there. But um, I would I would love to kind of start to get your opinion on, you know, we we're talking a little bit before we we came online here, but you know, people are very interested in AI and what's going on in the field of AI. And although you spend most of your time focused on Bitcoin today, you do have this this expansive background in technology as an entrepreneur, as an investor. And I think where AI and Bitcoin sort of intersect is this idea of deflation, right? Which you've done a lot of uh, talking about in your your book, uh, The Price of Tomorrow. So maybe before we get into all that and, and the connection between those two things, um, it's been a while since I've just talked to you about your sort of macro outlook here. So I would love to maybe start at, at 10,000 feet and just get your view on, you know, are we done with uh, inflation? Is it coming back? Like, how do you see the sort of short and long-term battle between inflation and deflation? So what's important for the for your listeners who haven't heard this, this thesis before uh, to remember is this where we are on this path is not a surprise we've actually had the exact same trend line um on ai and and our and moore's law for over 50 years mm. that all it looks like is the steps are getting bigger because it's an exponential pattern and people are measuring linearly in their brain so so if you if you put that together what's and, and remember in the book i and this was written in 2019 i wrote about the preceding 20 years saw us increase debt by 185 trillion dollars mm. to increase gdp by 46 trillion but i wasn't as much worried about that what i was worried about is what would come with the advancing uh, with the advancements in ai and two chapters in the book were dedicated to ai because you could see the phase transition that society was going through and you could see that most people were measuring that phase transition linearly and they would, didn't understand technology and what was happening and how the system had to change. So, so what's, what's important to note is, is the free market would be deflationary no matter what. That's where the, so all of inflation is created by more and more monetary easing and more and more manipulation of money. And it, it's because of this. So the, even the debate about will we have inflation and deflation, it's kind of a crazy debate. Because mm. because what it says is when will what when will policymakers print more money is really what mm. you're saying and and they have to so there's so let's just look at the the numbers or the approximate numbers there's four hundred trillion dollars of debt in the world that that is already insolvent globally that in, it's already insolvent no matter what you do it's ins, uh, insolvent the only way to pretend it's insolvent is to repay it through rep repression, financial repression, and, and through inflation and make the debt cheaper in, 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 in uh, nominal terms. So it's already insolvent. If you paid back $1 trillion, it would take you approximately 32,000 years to pay back $1 trillion at a dollar a second. Yet we have $400 trillion that's already insolvent. And, and so if you're measuring prices through a system that has to create more and more monetary units to stay solvent, it will look like prices are rising all the time. Mm. But if you're measuring it through a system, through, through, through a system that has a fixed cap on, uh, um, uh, on supply like Bitcoin and is outside that system, then prices will fall forever. So when people are measuring Bitcoin pricing going up or what's happening in the real economy, they're confused because the denominator is changing so fast and that's all that's happening. So, and, and then when they're measuring Bitcoin price going up, they're actually defaulting to their, their bad denominator by measuring the world from the system that is, that is, that is breaking. That's so all of macro could be, uh, could be comprised in what I just said, and it, it'll make it even simpler, simpler. And in economics and a law of economics is prices fall to the marginal cost of production, mm. no matter, no matter what, it's why this video we're on right now is free because there's, 
there's thousands of competitors offering free video services that, and, 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 and while there's competitors, they'll price it to zero and try to find, uh, and until the technology does the job. And then those entrepreneurs will go in and do a different job. That's why your photos are free. It's why it's, it's why the calculator app on your phone is free and all that productivity is removing things from GDP. So there's less things in GDP. So you have prices fall to the marginal cost of production, period. Check mark. Number two, because of AI, which we can dig into deeper, you have exponentially increasing productivity falling to its marginal, marginal cost of production. GPT-4 GPT launched a couple, uh, GPT-3.5, but then, uh, then 4 launched only a month and a half ago. And it's already free everywhere. You don't have to pay the $20 a month. You can get it free in a million different sites um, and all of the different. So you have, you have exponentially decreased kind of exponential productivity that should be falling to its marginal cost of production. And then the only reason why prices aren't getting cheaper at an exponential rate is because you have debt that would go immediately insolvent if you let prices fall. Because mm. you couldn't pay that that debt back, where do you get the money to pay the debt back from your photos that are free? And now you Printing. see exactly now you see the paradox. But it doesn't mm. make your photos more expensive; it makes the other things that haven't transitioned yet more expensive, like housing or food. But all of those things are going to transition over time too. And so what you're doing by pretending the insolvent and printing or trying to save the system, you're actually just concentrating all of the gains, all of the artificial intelligence gains, all of that productivity in very, very few hands. And it happens at a faster and faster rate. And then government has to get way bigger to try to, to stop the problem they created because as jobs are destroyed, as jobs are lost from the, uh, and, and you've, artificially created high, high prices just by monetary easing, where do those people go but the street? So look around major cities today and look at the chaos that it's causing. Those people fall, fall out and then they vote for government to increase government spending to be able to redistribute the, uh, the money. And so that's why you see socialism on the rise um, in, um, in, on a predictable path all over the world, all over the globe and the fights between left and right, because it's sitting on a base of, and, and, and all of, uh, all of, uh, all of politics is literally just theater on top of printed money. Mm. So to maybe sum that up, uh, there's the problem as, as you see it is this $400 trillion worth of, of debt on the asset side of that balance sheet is the cash flows that we're generating from technology. The problem is uh, the cash flows that we're generating from businesses, et cetera. But technology is basically wiping those cash flows away because the cost of goods fall to the marginal cost of production, which is rapidly becoming free. That denominator, as the debt stays here and the cash flows go down, that has to be made up by printing. And that's the inflation that we're seeing. And so, and so just look at the companies that are, that are, that are winning out of that. Look at the S and P divided by the top five companies mm. and everyone else, or look at any of these metrics by that. And all of the gains are in the AI company, the companies that are sitting on top of the data yeah. that, that are, that are essentially using that AI, creating that AI and using it and removing labor to do it. And they're concentrating it faster and fa faster as a result. And everyone else in the globe is, is losing at that same, at that same pace because it all relies on theft. Inflation is just theft. You don't vote mm. for it, right? You, there's, there's no vote for it. So somebody says, I'm going to change the amount of monetary units to be able to take money from you essentially. Uh, uh, if you're a labor, inflation is wage deflation or savings deflation. So I'm going to pick your pocket, um, and uh, to to be able to keep the uh, keep the financial system that we've glued together that's based on inflation solvent. So you ask why I became uh, so uh, I'm known in Bitcoin now because mm. because Bitcoin is the only thing that, that resolves that paradox. No other altcoin, no other anything. Um, Bitcoin is the only thing that resolves that paradox. And so what's actually happening in Bitcoin is 
in in my life and what's hap- happening there is prices are falling to the marginal cost of production when measured in bitcoin it just mm-hmm. it just i'm looking through the world through a different measurement lens than most most people are and i understand what the existing system has to do i understand all of the other things that have to happen but macro is really simple mm-hmm. it's in this prices follow the marginal cost of production we have exponentially increasing productivity and prices should be falling everything else is an illusion everything else is is oh, it's not an illusion it is real but it's only real because people are choosing to stay in that system and give them give it give, and make that system have power over them hey everyone we'll get back to the show in a minute but just wanted to let you know that we've got our permissionless conference coming up this is the one that we do with bankless it is the biggest and best conference in DeFi. it's going to be in austin texas this year september 11th through the 13th you've been in crypto for a while, you know that bear market conferences are the best conferences because those are the ones that all the alphas at. This year, we've got a phenomenal lineup of speakers and the topics that we're covering are insane. We're going to be talking about ZK Tech, Rollups, Count Abstraction, MEV, App Change, the whole suite of stuff. I cannot wait myself. So because you're a listener of this podcast, you're also going to get a discount. Type in pods20 and you're going to get 20% off your ticket. Click the link at the bottom of this episode and go get it now because prices go up every two weeks. I think it would be interesting to, you know, some of these new technologies, right? People have described blockchains in these terms, but, you know, new technology tends to be wildly deflationary um, and eliminate revenues instead of creating them. Eventually, you know, it might create more jobs down the line. And I'd be curious to get your, you know, pick your brain on that. But you know, I'd love to sort of compare and contrast these two different technologies of, let's say, Bitcoin versus something like like AI. Uh, there's actually a great quote uh, our producer Will pulled from the sovereign individual, um, uh, or this is actually, I think Peter Thiel actually wrote this in the sovereign individual. In truth, the great conflict over our meta- mega political future is only just beginning. On the dimension of technology, the conflict has two poles: AI and crypto. Artificial intelligence hold out that the prospect of finally solving what economists call the calculation problem. AI could theoretically make it possible to centrally control an entire economy. It is no coincidence that AI is the favorite technology of the Communist Party of China. Strong cryptography at the other pole holds out the prospect of a decentralized and individual world. If AI is communist, crypto is libertarian. So a bit of a different framing from what we had just discussed, but I'd be curious to sort of tease apart how these two different technologies fit into this future. And they, they fit in through the productivity gains. That's why I dedicated two chapters to it. And I said, remember, remember when I, uh, you might not remember the book, but, uh, but in the book I said, um, our intelligence, human intelligence is error correction. Yes. But we stand on top of other people who do and, uh, scientific method work that's done other work before us. And we, we sit on top of all of that work and we error correct. Same thing in any sport you do, you get better and better and better in the sport through that practice. It's dedicated learning creates that error, uh, error correction. So us as a species, it, our, our human intelligence is error correction. In fact, what, what is wisdom? <laughs> a lifetime of error correction. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, so we make mistakes. We either learn from them or we don't. If we don't learn from them, um, we don't do very well. Um, if we learn from them, we do better. And that's, that's just what life looks like. And computers are now doing that at a rate that, that is bumping up against our ability to do it at a a faster rate. And they're going to get better and better as the first people that are using AI today are actually essentially capitalizing on the win from making productivity better. And the entire, and, and and if there was a hundred dollars available, that'll go to $60. And they'll win most of it. And if a company does that, they'll win most of it. Um, if a person does it, they'll be more valuable to a company. Then they'll they'll win uh, win win more. And then they'll be training the AI to remove their job or somebody else to do it better at the next step to win more of it. And so that's that will bring prices down or should bring prices down as is essentially. A monetary standard like Bitcoin would allow the prices to flow, essentially the productivity to flow to society in the form of lower prices, where you wouldn't have to work as much. You would every day you would get every year you'd get more for less every year. 
but it's so hard to see from an existing system that it works exactly polar opposite. Mm-hmm. So the, these these trends, um, when Peter Thiel talks about that, he's actually right. But they're not, they're unstoppable anyways. As far as AI, it's going to advance. It has been advancing for fifty years at the exact same exponential path, and and people are measuring. Essentially, they're looking at this and they're measuring a screen of a movie, a shot of a movie, instead of watching mm. the movie. Yeah. If you watch if you watch the movie, you know where this is going. I have a friend. I have a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, who runs a company called Sanctuary AI. Mm. Um, today, they have robots in stores that aren't the robots that you would think uh, uh, of robots that you do one task over and over and over. They're general purpose artificial intelligence robots that you te- you ask it to run the store. It can it can unload a truck, it can stock shelves, it can do the checkout, it can do, and it, and it, they're getting better and better and better. And now or I think right now they go three kilometers an hour. So they're slow, but, but hands, they could do any task humans can like crazy intricate tasks. They could solder, they could do all in their general uh, intelligence. So, so that is merging with the same, what you're seeing in chat GPT and what you're seeing with all the explosion mm-hmm. of, of different, different AI tools. And it's merging into humanoid form that will then drive the marginal cost of production, not just of the of the uh, uh, of the digital world down, but the marginal cost of production of the physical world down. And what he expects is in three years that their cost of labor on these robots per hour that need no breaks, coffee breaks, union dues, that'll be five dollars an hour. So imagine the ten trillion dollars today in the economy that everybody's talking about, that hasn't been touched because it's physical labor and it hasn't been touched by this. That now you have a connection to something that moves to five dollars an hour. Now and now think about this through. Don't instead of fear or, or, or out of that, imagine in that world that robots um, growing food for you. Why isn't food free, right? Imagine that robots building houses. Imagine that uh, all, all these things or near free. And so that is the quandary that we live in. Um, if you don't, if, if you print money against that to make prices go out, uh, 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 up, the same thing you're doing as a purchaser, trying to create more value, unless a company puts those robots in, if a company says, I'm going to have just human labor and they're going to be $50 an hour because we're printing money so much. And another company says, I'm going to have robot labor and it's going to be $5 an hour. So I provide more value to my people, to people who are buying my service. What company is going to win? What company would you choose? So mm-hmm. the paradox is we look, our, our human condition is we look for things that give us value in our lives. Mm-hmm. We're going to chase the best value. And that's what entrepreneurs solve and, and artificial intelligence and that process is solving at a, a faster rate. Now I will, I, I need to qualify because something that you just read in the so- sovereign in- individual, it will not work no matter what, no, mm. the, the communist idea. And here's why it won't work. Even the best, and I'm very deep on the AI subject, but to d- today, and for a long time, I can't imagine the AI that can predict every single person's what they want before it's there. And I'll give you an mm-hmm. example. In in the, the the BlackBerry, I used to have a BlackBerry. I never mm-hmm. wanted to give up my BlackBerry. When the iPhone came out, I said, I'll never give up my BlackBerry. I love my BlackBerry. And when I saw the BlackBerry, or sorry, when I saw the iPhone, my mind changed immediately. The entrepreneurial process to create the iPhone was three years before that. And then when it came out in 2007, my mind changed along with millions and billions of other minds and smartphones were the new thing. How could any AI or centrally controlled uh, system predict all human behavior before the thing is invented that derives a human behavior? And the point is that's why the free market works better because it's all of these ideas to solve problems and um, that create more value for us. 
it's just the free market is not working right now because it's not free because of the m- m- manipulation of money. There is mm-hmm. no free market with the manipulation of money. It all, uh, it all, it just looks like um, communism and capitalism are exactly the same system under manipulation of money. <laughs> could you, I could have to digest that actually for a second. Can you explain, go further into that? Why is it the same under the manipulation of money? How could there be a free market if all decisions mm-hmm. from the free market were based on manipulation of money? There is no free market. It's mm-hmm. all a controlled market. It's who gets to manipulate the money and who gets to decide who gets most of the money. It's just, it's an illusion that we believe we live in a free market that is not a free market anymore. And that's, that, that's what you're seeing breaking all over the world because people are very, very confused by, by, by this. I agree on the framework uh, that you sort of laid out. Like, let's kind of get into the weeds of, of how you see this being resolved because, you know, for the time being, you know, like in the, when we're recording this, right. Uh, there still is this massive wall of debt, right. And there we have, we've started to print, but we probably haven't ratcheted up, you know, um, or the, the, the ratcheting up will just increase over the coming months and years. So I'm curious, like how you actually see this sort of playing out. Like, how do we, sort of transition here what are what's kind of the best case and what's the worst case so so every country will tr- be transitioning this differently and there will be periods of calm where is it, so if you look what happens in venezuela right now you yeah. the, uh so at 114 percent uh inflation rate or argentina 114 percent inflation rate you would think everybody there would be bitcoiners what do they do? Most 95% of them, although there's higher adoption in some of these regions in Bitcoin, Bitcoin because it's protected families, saved families, allowed people to escape that country um, which, because they could uh, they could just move across borders seamlessly with all of the, just the keywords in their head. Um, most people stay stuck in the system and they make it stronger right, by doing so. They, they will march against the system they will burn homes, they will uh, break windows, they will try to elect their person in the system, and, it, and that system just gets stronger. And, and that system then controls them further. So, um, so if that looks the same all over the world, why would it look any different here? Because humans make the same, they, they, they stay stuck in a system. So really what you're saying, and, and it, this is really imp- probably important for a lot of your audience, there's $400 trillion of debt in the world. It's already insolvent, period. You have a choice in Bitcoin to not pay it back and start anew and watch all prices against Bitcoin fall forever. And if you want to decide to stay in that system and pay it back, it will look over time a lot like some of these other countries. I can't name the exact time in each country, but there's 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 a lot of problems coming out of this. And then in that time, if you go back to Argentina or Venezuela or another country that goes through these debt crises and, 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 and pays it back through massive inflation for a number of years or hyperinflation or a debt default, one or the other, then their cost of labor and their materials is so low versus the globe, it starts anew. And everybody thinks they're winning again. Um, and that's where I said period of calm and then they're rug pulled again mm-hmm. and they do it over and over and over again. And if, and just think about the rate that that has happened and you can see the rate increasing around the world. If you're just following the trends and the rate of kind of authoritarian countries and dictators getting elected, because in that system, people will vote away their individual rights and freedoms for somebody who will save them. And you see it everywhere. And so that is happening all over the globe at a rate. And now add technologies moving at an exponential rate today, and it's going to happen faster. Mm. You know, and, and so th- this will play out all different, all different countries all around the world. And what, what, what is happening is if you're in Bitcoin, you're immune to it or largely immune for, to it. You can have empathy for a lot of people that are going to go through it, but you're, you're, you're saving in, in a system that without counterparty r- risk, that's outside of that system. Is there is there some sort of Overton window that shifts on money printing? And what I mean by that is when we go through these periodic periods of calm and then punctuated by crises. So let's take March of 2020 when we had COVID hit. 
the response from the government was supposed to be one of strength from the Federal Reserve, which we're going to print as much money as we need to quell the problem. Don't worry about it. And that did it. It succeeded in quelling markets, created all these other side effects. It created inflation, you know, financial price inflation, actual CPI headline inflation, but it was the show of strength and it worked. Do you think there's this Overton window shift at which the number that they need to print is so big that it actually starts to look like a sign of weakness and people start to panic at the amount of money that needs to get printed and people start connecting the dots more than they do now? Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, all of these things could happen, but I would say that uh, in my base case is uh, is this goes on for a lot longer and it hurts a lot of people in the process and there's not a complete collapse. Remember, when... When Argentina, Venezuela, Ghana, name country Turkey, when when that happens in those countries first, all of their labor gets way cheaper, and it actually helps persist the U.S. Uh, U.S. Uh, system longer. And the problem with that is the military-industrial complex um, in the U.S. today. You can't reshore. You can't reshore manufacturing, critical manufacturing, because it's outsourced around the world. And so that creates a real big problem that for the U.S. too, or the, almost the politics versus the national security apparatus that's uh, uh, that's happening to today. But if you just go back to that, if you print money, because remember when when that first happened, we're not worried about inflation at all. There will be no inflation. Then there's yeah. going to be transitory inflation. Then there's going to be persistent inflation. And it was an 18 month window of of listening to essentially people watching a frame of a movie over and over and over. They're not, what you'll find is just about everybody you're listening to isn't predicting the future. They're predicting the present. Mm. Um, they're walking outside and saying the weather's sunny today. Um, and, and then, and then all of a sudden it's winter and they're still in their bathing suit. Um, because even if you say that printing of uh, that money, the $6 trillion that, uh, it, just walk through a longer timeline. Remember TARP was supposed to be 350 billion, then it was 700 yeah. billion. And I think then, that's the and, and then 6 trillion. And the next one is a staggering number because it has to be because the debt is already insolvent. And if you let that start to unwind through, through a deflationary collapse. So people that are um, saying you can't let a, a deflation happen. They're right from the existing system. There'd be no food on the shelves. There'd be because all the supply chains would stop. There'd be the, all the banks would fail because every single thing down to the ground of your entire world you're measuring has counterparty risk to that 400 trillion. And that counterparty risk is everywhere. And so it's throughout the system. So if you start to let that unwind, uh, unwind, let's say if there's a probability of a debt default or a delay in, in, in the U.S., imagine the implications. I don't think people can imagine the implications if that went on for very much time. Because it would, the amount of money, because you're just literally burning that thing and it's cascading. And the amount of money that needs to fill that hole doesn't just have to fill just to the top. It has to fill more. <laughs> and the mm. number, the number explodes. The longer that that goes on, the number, the, how much money, how much manipulation of money or to pretend it's solvent explodes. And, and, and these are confusing topics to and especially if you're watching the nightly news to 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 have somebody <laughs> tell you predicting the present <laughs> I actually love that analogy yeah because that's what most people do right they do they tune into CNN or Fox or something like that and they hear if you're listening to Fox it's you know some someone someone got murdered and if it's CNN there was some sort of injustice that was committed and that's what you hear that's what you hear and think is the news and really there's all this other stuff going on in the background that you don't understand or hear talked about like just look go through the people that if, if you're watching uh, and you like that person go back and watch what they said two three four five years ago and go back to each person that you actually spend any time watching and see there, see, and just look at their accuracy mm. because it's there. You could do that work. And then when you realize that there's zero accuracy or there's very, then maybe tune into somebody who has higher accuracy. 
I think that's a, I'm a podcast junkie myself and I often do that. And I will say you, if you go back and listen to people, I think the most interesting time period that I like to do this with is in uh, April of 2020. I go back, I've gone a bunch of times and listened to a bunch of podcasts from that period of time. And it's very interesting to see what people are saying or reacting. Maybe that's a bit unfair because that was crisis and there was panic, but there are some, yeah, some people people's predictions fared a little bit better than others. Yeah. Um, Paul, Paul Krugman is still listened to, right? He's still, and, and, and think of the number of things that he's constantly wrong on. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. I Yeah, I hear you. I, th- I think it also, you know, one thing that I didn't understand as a listener as a listener of much of this type of content is you should probably have an opinion on it's very rare that one person is great for every topic right it usually you should try to filter a little bit if you're very interested in understanding what's going to happen in markets over the next 7 you know 7 days that's a very different the type of person that will be very good at that is very different than someone who takes a much longer sort of approach and maybe someone with a monetary background versus a technology background you're very unique in that you have both, but it's you. You have to filter a little bit as a listener too. For that's, that's absolutely that's absolutely true. And our biases, yeah. we we outweigh the short term versus the long term. We make yeah. decisions. Humans make decisions with their short term biases, and they and and they think and they miss all of the things that happen over the long term because of those choices. Yeah, I have a I have a personal rule that I've found to work. Uh, I don't know why it works, but I found that it does both in terms of, for a while I was in charge of uh, finance for BlockWorks and I found handicapping forecasts and take 30% off. Uh, just take 30% off and that's more likely going to be, take your best guess at what you actually think it's going to be, take 30% off. I also have a little internal system of if I really want something to be the case, I have a mental handicap of, I think it'll be a little bit less likely because I know that I really want it and that's my internal bias. Talking yeah. So, so Bitcoin, in, in, in fact, in Bitcoin, what most many people don't know is I tried to disprove my hypothesis over and over and over. And I tried to say how, and, and most of the time spent in Bitcoin, especially in, in the beginning, but still, still somewhat today is actually trying to disconfirm my thesis and why, yeah. and what, and, and what's happened is my probability of failure as I've learned more. Um, it was ne- it, it, it it was always probably lower uh, lower, but as I've learned more, I've decreased my probability of of this not working to from one or two percent to to point one percent. Yeah, and, and as I've decreased my probability of that, and seen that effectively it resolves the paradox. Um, and everything, if you measure house prices in Bitcoin, if you measure food prices in Bitcoin, if you measure everything in in Bitcoin, what you'll find is they're falling to the marginal cost of production in Bitcoin. You just can't see it from the other, and people are mismeasuring it. So, it, and and then the only thing I have to now resolve is, can it break? Mm. Can anything break that? Because it, you'd have to expect if a system had ten thousand, it was ten thousand times bigger than Bitcoin, and it favored all of the media companies and all the money and everything else in the technology companies. It favored all of politicians and all of the people that are essentially using that system uh, um, to to gain advantage, then they would be at risk because Bitcoin would favor favor the value producers. And so there would be, it would, instead of favoring the rent seekers, it would favor favor the value creators. Mm. And so you would have to expect if a system that was truly outside that system to be able to remain viable, it would have to withstand every attack possible. 
And what I've seen over time with Bitcoin is it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger with that attack. And I mean, provably stronger, more decentralized, more secure, more decentralized every year. And in, and as all of these attack vectors have, have, uh, have come in, and now it's starting to build into second and third layers technologies that are building on top of it that, that literally change, change the world. So you're having a paradigm shift and the people that are living on Bitcoin or more on Bitcoin are actually just, have you ever heard William Gibson's uh, quote, um, future's already here, it's just not widely distributed? <laughs> I have heard that actually. It's yeah. a great quote. So, that, so, so people on Bitcoin right now, and actually what you're, what you're seeing, people that are denominating in Bitcoin and spending more of the time there are already living in the future. It's just not widely right. distributed. And more and more people are, are moving over to understand uh, that what's happening here. I read a book that uh, describes, uh, maybe it's analogous to the future that you're describing. Or maybe it's an interesting thought exercise. It's called Childhood's End. It's a, it's a science fiction book by Arthur C. Clarke. And the premise of the book is, it's, it ends up being something else. But the, the initial premise of the book is that, without ruining anything, Alien, a big alien ship sort of descends on the earth and they instantly solve all of earth's problems. Um, no more genocide, no more hunger, no more poverty, no more anything like that. It's basically solved. And it sort of starts, that's the, hypo, uh, the hypothetical that it starts from, and it explores what would happen to the human race in that instance. And it was kind of interesting, some of the predictions that he made. One of the predictions actually was that people would consume uh, you know, without work to do, they would consume up to three hours of content per day. That was supposed to blow people away. Now, you know, my iPhone says five <laughs> hours, you know, minimum. It's just so depressing. But uh, it was just, it was kind of interesting. And I would draw the parallel to what you're describing, which is, look, the real, the thing that's real is, first of all, the amount of debt, our liability that we have outstanding. And then we have this deflationary force in technology. And that's, the future really that we should embrace is a money that matches up the natural underlying forces that are driving our economy and our organization. So in a, in a, in a sort of perfect world, I could see, look, instead of every year your money gets debased, you actually have more money. The question is, what do you do with your time? How do you find purpose? So I don't know if that's an yep. analogy. What do you think about that? Question? So I wrote about that in the book, right? Mm. Because that is what's going to happen. And by the way, this is going to happen no matter what this is this is what this is what's happening over a long enough time period this is uh prices fall the margin of cost of production we would not vote for a system like that because there's too much personal incentive to either manipulate money or take advantage of manipulation of money and i'll give you an example in that let's would you vote if a politician said uh listen every year your wages are going to go down but up in real terms. So you're getting more for less. And no way, because what you would say is, I'm gonna wait till it happens, and then I'll, then I'll say yes. So, so because our, we wouldn't do that, you'd have to have a system that's outside of our control to be able to impose that on us. That's what Bitcoin does. It imposes that system on, on, on the human race. And the people that are, uh, that are participating in that and more and more will participate, and that's where the world will move. Now, where does the time go? And I think I explored a little bit of this too. I don't believe in utopia, and I don't believe in dystopia. I think we're too fractured. We want too many different things for that type of uh, world. We solve problems. We constantly are trying to find. And so when, as we do that, we'll find other things at our time. We'll move into productive things that we value. To, to solve things that we value in our lives. Don't know what exactly that looks like, but I, but it would be really hard to see what that looks like from a system that is keeping you in perpetual fear today. I think that is the challenge. It's, um, it's, it's one of those things where I do feel like at the, at the beginning of early technologies, like there's a, there's a clip that I've shown a million people at this point, but it's Bill Gates talking about the internet yeah. in 1995. Yeah. Just so good on Letterman. And yeah. 
he's trying to describe what you can do with the internet. And he uses this example of, well, for instance, you could watch a baseball game streamed on your computer. Letterman goes, you ever heard of a radio? Does yeah. that ring a bell? And it's much easier to, it's much easier to tear something down, especially when the thing is unknown, but the unknown, uh, the new thing ends up usually being directionally correct. And that's sort of what I've always thought about this kind of stuff. Now, remember, they, and this is why this is really hard to see in Bitcoin, too. But remember what the, what the Internet was you know, was going through. It wasn't just a product. It wasn't it wasn't it's way bigger impact on our lives. than let's say the iPhone, which sat on top of that protocol stack. Hmm. So so the base layer of the Internet was TCP IP and, and it was developed by DARPA in the 60s and, and protocols harden. They they ossify. Um, and, and they have to harden because if the base layer of the protocol is at risk, everything built on top of it is at risk. So, so then layer two, layer three, layer four was, was HTTP. And that didn't come out till 1989. So remember protocols harden, and then you cannot see, no one can see what's possible on the next layer until the next layer is there. Then entrepreneurs race in and take advantage of their imagination on what they can build on top of that next layer. So, so remember in 1995 when, when Bill Gates said that, and by the way, remember he was also late to some of the stuff on the internet. He was, uh, right, yeah. Right? <laughs> right. So remember when he said that 1985, that was six years at 1995, that was six years after HTTP. And that was six years after entrepreneurs started doing this. And you didn't have the iPhone until 2007. You didn't have Google to 2000. We take for granted that all these things have been this, this, what we're doing right now, this video pod, this video podcast that can touch millions of people in an instant now where it didn't look like that before. And all of those advantages came after the protocol was in place. So the protocol stack was in place, comes in layers and you can't build on until after. So, and, and that's how pr uh, protocols look like instead of just the companies that operate on top of the uh, protocols. So when he was saying that, and he was late to, uh, 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 to, uh, to the internet or what, what, what was, ha what was happening. Imagine how many people totally missed that, what was happening. Imagine what Sears did versus Amazon. Imagine what all of these other companies that believed that their world was exactly never going to change because they couldn't see the impact of all of these millions of entrepreneurs on a free and open system, being able to create value for other people on top of that. Now extend that thinking. If it happens, if that's the way the world looks and you can see what it looked like in that wave, now what does it look like if now you've in incorporated a peer-to-peer -peer internet, essentially in Bitcoin base layer, that is, that, that is tied to energy, so it chases energy abundance around the world, provides a pricing mechanism to energy abundance. Um, and, and, and most people are looking at Bitcoin and it's just a store of value. And then lightning comes out and then Fediment comes out. And some of the layers on top of the, uh, this are just early and entrepreneurs are racing to them. And what I can tell you is why this is so exciting is it literally changes the world and people are pricing it as, uh, as most, most people don't even have any clue what Bitcoin is. They're still measuring it from the existing system when it's a protocol change to, to society. Jeff, um, talk to me about that, that last bit. I would love to maybe dig into a little bit of your activities at, at ego death. Um, and, you know, you mentioned some of the, you know, the things that are happening on top of Bitcoin, maybe it's lightning. What are what are you interested in sort of investing in? If you could kind of outline the thesis of the fund, and then what are some of the interesting projects that entrepreneurs in Bitcoin are looking at building? So the thesis of the fund wa was effectively what I just said. So so what would what would a, a protocol stack that had to ossify look like, and what it would look like to everybody else, and then where would where would other things be built? because you could do nothing on Bitcoin. Bitcoin, the only thing you could do, it was decentralized and secure, and it was it was provably decentralized and secure, but it had no utility because you could do only do five to seven transactions a second. So the, the strength of it as a base layer was the decentralization and security that actually put a pricing mechanism to be able to chase abundant energy. So it had a physical world manifestation of energy 
into proof of work and decentralized and created decentralization and security as a result of that. That would be a big deal. That would, if, if that stood what I just said, if it, that's why I said I did a lot of work trying to disprove that it, 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 that would be a huge deal because it would allow a transition from, from change, but you couldn't do anything on it. So all of the other coins that came up saying, I have a better Bitcoin, I have something else and had to make a trade off that and do something different to scale, make perfect sense in a free market that's trying to find a better, better value, make tons of sense. But I asked myself, what is the utility of those things that have to either centralize or be insecure? And there's no utility. So, so, but I understand why they, why entrepreneurs chase them. I understand why businesses invested them. And in the early going, Bitcoin did really well. So I'm going to create a new coin. I'm going to create dog coin. I'm going to create this. It's going to do really well too. And a whole bunch of money chases it and it keep, creates a, a loop similar to the loop in financial in the financialization of market where while you're driving massive liquidity, lots of things can grow <laughs> and look solvent that aren't solvent. So what the, the thesis of the fund was, it was just emerging layer twos and layer threes. They were just starting to happen that this incredible wave would build on top of Bitcoin because now you had a st stable and secure base layer that could be built on and you could solve scalability on the second and third layers and offer everything else that those alternative coins could have done on top of Bitcoin while retaining decentralization and security at the base. So, but that was, it was just emerging. It was like the internet in 91. It was like, and, and so what would it look like as a fund who was counterintuitive to everybody else to building kind of in the space that didn't have long-term utility? What it, would it look like it create a value fund that, that a real base that built the future of what that was looking like that. So that's why we started the fund and the projects we look at for Quite honestly, sometimes I don't even know. Um, sometimes they, you see something over here with lightning, you see something else, you see an idea over here. The most exciting projects are the ones that aren't just copies of what we know today. Like we wouldn't have, out of the existing, uh, when the internet was started, started, you wouldn't have thought of building the iPhone. You wouldn't have thought of building at Google. You wouldn't have thought of build, building Facebook. These are new ideas with technology that did something different. Most of the first wave of companies were, were I'm going to do faster the same thing I did before. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's what's happening right now in some of these. And Fediment's a good example, or Fetty is a good example um, that yeah, it's early, but it actually creates a federated operating system. It's, it's almost like it, 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 as, as it rolls out, it could look like Apple without the fees to Apple for the, from the app store to use their, their operating system where the entire globe can build to it and offer modules. Um, it solves, it, it, it helps the self-custody problem in, in solving because a lot of people are worried about self-custody on, on Bitcoin. Um, and uh, so they keep they they risk their coins on exchanges because they tr they trust somebody else. So it allows you to essentially trust a group of guardians. And I could use say that that guardian those guardians could be my family. And so I could create my own federation with my family. And if I ever lost my coins or my co password, I could just say to my my daughter and my wife and my son, it's me. <laughs> Can you, can you, and so it solves, it kind of solves that problem, but think about what that also does. If you're in North Korea and you can't get money in North Korea and your and your guardian is out or gu group of guardians is outside North Korea, they can get money to you directly to your wallet. Nobody, complete privacy, nothing can stop, uh, uh, stop it. And, and the server and the guardian server would be like a raspberry Pi that would be outside of the country. So imagine that capability in in solving a humanitarian crisis all over the world and providing privacy encrypted chat that also looks like an uh, operating system so something i'm really excited about Sonoda, a company that essentially uh they've used light they're using lightning to um if you look at uh, energy companies energy companies um 
one of the biggest markets around yeah. uh, energy. Uh, energy companies love Bitcoin miners because they handle their base load, right? When prices go negative or low, Bitcoin miners activate and they, they uh, so, so they really want that customer because it produ produces a floor on energy cost. Problem with that customer is because of the risk they take in their, in their balance sheet, they, they're, and, the, and the volatility in Bitcoin, Bitcoin, um, it, they, a lot of times those it, 90 days later, that customer doesn't pay the energy company after mm -hmm. the watts have been transferred. Uh, Sonoda prices that every day. So it takes their worst customer or their highest credit rate customer and makes it and that they need and turns it into their best customer. And, and if you think about that in an energy transition as energy transitions, and now you're essentially the lag in time and kind of credit terms on top of energy. By the time the watts are flowing, the distribution of energy to you and you pay, there's about a 15% cost of energy just in the financing cost of energy. Mm. And, and now using, utilizing light, Lightning, um, Sonoda can actually change that for energy companies and have, have energy priced in real time, settled in real time. So, yeah. so lots of different, lots of different things like Breeze, a non-custodial wallet, a whole bunch of things that, uh, that are a whole bunch of companies that are essentially, if you just why the internet's a really good example is if you looked at the internet where it was in 95, you wouldn't see what was coming. If you look, if you're looking at Bitcoin through the lens of what you think is there right now, you have no idea what's coming. Jeff, uh, that is honestly, I look forward to seeing the kind of uh, companies that you invest in in that fund. I'm pro it's probably a space that I should pay more attention to. And I'm just really interested to see what you do. Unfortunately, I think we've, we've got to wrap it here, but I always just love our conversations and it's been way too long since you and I have talked. So um, if folks want to find out more about you or the work that you're doing at Ego Death, maybe if you're a Bitcoin entrepreneur listening, or if you want to uh, follow follow Jeff view or, or or get the price of tomorrow. What's the best way to sort of get information? Actually, uh, that's, that's important. Important. Go to my website jeffbooth.ca because I keep an updated list of of any social media that I'm on. I'm not on, and and, and there's so many frauds out there to trying to claim, uh, 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 trying to take your money from you. So. So go there first. I am on Twitter. I'm on Noster, but check check the proper address through that we, uh, website. Um, that's probably best. We'll link that in the show notes then. Jeff, this has been a, a very fun conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, we'll have to not let two years go by next time. It's been too long. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, cool. Michael. Bye, Jeff. See ya.